We have just passed the Visakha Puja full moon day that we hold as an important Buddhist holy day. This day commemorates when the Buddha was born, became enlightened, and passed away into Parinibbana. The place of the Buddha's final passing was in Kushinara. It was in line with the Buddha's renouncing of his remaining lifespan three months prior. This took place in Vesali city, and with this conscious renouncing of his remaining lifespan, a mighty earthquake arose, shaking the whole world. Venerable Ananda knew that this earthquake was not an ordinary occurrence, so he asked the Buddha of its cause, and the Buddha told Venerable Ananda that the earthquake was because the Buddha had made the decision that he would relinquish his remaining lifespan. Venerable Ananda was shocked and appealed to the Buddha to live longer than this. The Buddha said that it was too late. In the past, the Buddha had already given Venerable Ananda various ways to ask for the Buddha to live longer, to not yet pass away, but Venerable Ananda wasn't aware of this. In the suttas, it says, that Mara was being an obstruction so that Venerable Ananda wouldn't know. But when the Buddha had set his date to pass away, it couldn't be changed anymore. The Buddha then set out to travel from Vesali to Kushinara, the distance no less than 200 kilometers. In the present day, by road, it would take around 7 hours by car. The Buddha contracted severe pains and dysentery as well. But the Buddha was determined that he would teach the lay people in the small town of Kushinara. Venerable Ananda asked for the Buddha to pass away in a large city like Rajagaha in the Magdaha kingdom or Sawati city where King Pasenadi was the ruler. But the Buddha said that the town of Kushinara used to be an extremely prosperous city called Kusawadi. In the past, it was ruled by a wheel-turning monarch. And the Buddha, in one of his past lives, was this wheel-turning monarch ruling this city, and he governed it with Dhamma principles. The city had great prosperity then, but in the present, it was just a small town. What was amazing was that after the Buddha passed away in this small town and his body was cremated, then all the great kings of the continent came with their armies and asked for a portion of the Buddha's relics. So what could they do? A small town wouldn't be able to resist the big kingdoms if they didn't share it with them for their homage. It was Dona Brahman who undertook the duty to share the relics of the Buddha between all the kingdoms, because all the kings used to be disciples of Dona Brahman in the past. So the distribution of the Buddha's relics was done fairly and properly, sharing to all the various kingdoms. And on the night that the Buddha would pass away into Parinibbana, the ascetic Subhadda was to become the last Sawaka or the last direct disciple of the Buddha while he was still alive. Venerable Anya Kodanya was the first Sawaka, and the ascetic Subhadda was the last fully enlightened Arahant, who was an ascetic ordained in another religious group before he attained to becoming an Arahant. 
he wanted to go meet the Buddha, but Venerable Ananda wouldn't give him permission. Here we know the heart of someone who wishes to attain to arahantship. Their heart and mind are set firmly on wanting to see the Buddha, really wanting to listen to the Dhamma from the Buddha. It's already the last moments. And he made the determination to be the last arahant disciple of the Buddha, the Pachima Sawaka. He argued with Venerable Ananda, but Venerable Ananda wouldn't allow it. The Buddha overheard and asked Venerable Ananda what it was. Venerable Ananda told the Buddha that an ascetic ordained in another religious group wanted to listen to the Dhamma from the Buddha. Venerable Ananda, the Buddha's attendant, saw the Buddha in much pain and he definitely wouldn't give his permission for someone to disturb the Buddha. But the Buddha, with his great and unequalled compassion, even though he was about to pass away, he still taught the ascetic Subhadda because Subhadda had already entered the Buddha's divine awareness, and the Buddha knew of his previous determination to become the last Sawaka disciple. So the Buddha had Venerable Ananda let Subhadda come to the Blessed One. And Subhadda asked the Buddha, Are there Arahants in the other religions? He was having doubts. Because of doubts like this, he was to be the last Sawaka. The Buddha said that there are no tracks in the sky. Outside the noble eightfold path, there are no noble beings. So only the ones walking the noble eightfold path that we can summarize into sila samadhi panya or morality concentration and wisdom here that can have ariya pugala or noble beings and arahants arise. If outside of the Buddha's teachings or outside of Sila, Samadhi and Panya, there were no Arahants arising. Like in the same way, there are no tracks in the sky. Subhadda's heart was uplifted. How could he not be uplifted and gain faith? The Buddha was about to pass away into Parinibbana and it was incredibly difficult to see and talk with the Buddha. All the monks were seated full. There was no empty space at all. The Dewas were all gathered there fully. Subhadda gained confidence and asked to ordain from the Buddha. The Buddha told Venerable Ananda to ordain him. It was a special privilege as it usually wasn't that easy to ordain. It was a special occurrence because the Buddha knew that he would become an Arahant. Subhadda ordained as a monk. And we should know that Subhadda had already built his Barami or spiritual potential for a long time already. He had a high level of jhana or mental absorption. His samadhi or concentration was very firm, but he didn't yet have the element of wisdom that would allow him to practice in the training of sila, samadhi and panya. But now he was firm. He had faith and confidence in the teachings of the Buddha. He put forth effort and diligence. That night he didn't sleep. He was sincerely practicing. He wished to attain and see the Dhamma. His samadhi was firm already. He used his wisdom to contemplate and investigate the Dhamma that the Buddha taught. He was sure that this path to attain to Lokuttara Dhamma, the Dhamma that is beyond the world, was certainly the path of sila, 
samadhi and panya. He reflected on the Dhamma and he used this in his practice. He used his faculty of contemplation so that it was appropriate for the Dhamma that he had heard and learnt. In this way, the benefit that would arise would be great. He had already built up a lot of spiritual potential for wisdom to arise. He gazed at the sky and that night it was the full moon of the 15th day of the 6th lunar month. The moon was incredibly luminous. The clouds floated back and forth in line with nature. They had moved like this for a long time already, but his wisdom still had not yet arisen. This night, his mind gathered into samadhi and was incredibly still. It was to the highest level already, but it wasn't to the state of jhana where he couldn't contemplate anything. With this inner stillness imbued with sama samadhi, right concentration, he gazed at the moon and saw the clouds cover and pass by the moon. He didn't just gaze normally and admire the beauty of nature. He gazed at it and brought his investigation within and contemplated. He saw his mind was still and peaceful like the full moon on this night. It was very luminous. He looked at his mind and saw his mind was luminous all the time. But sometimes there were mental objects that passed by the mind. The mind wasn't yet wise, so it attached to those mental objects. We call this Dhamma Aramana, the mental objects that arise in the mind. The state of the mind was lowered because it attached to these mental objects as I and mine. But when Venerable Subhadda, the Pachima Sawaka, the last direct disciple, he saw clearly with wisdom that this was a mental object, it was not the mind itself. Then wisdom arose, and his sila, samadhi and panya gathered together. The practice of Dhamma entered Lokutara Dhamma, that which has gone beyond the world. His insight was clear, and he became the last direct disciple before the Buddha would pass away into Parinibbana. Isn't this amazing? The Buddha gave the first sermon and there was the Patama Sawaka, the first disciple of the Buddha, who was Venerable Anya Kodanya, he who saw the Dhamma that whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to cease. The things that arise, it may be material things that humans create in this world, or universe, or this body of ours. It can be anything, whether material or mental phenomena. If it arises, then it must have old age, sickness and death as well. So we can contemplate, do birth and death come together? Which one arises first? Whenever birth comes, death comes at the same time. They come together. The start of birth, that's the start of death right there. But we see death once more when the breath ceases. This is too late. This person is careless. But those who have a breath but are as if dead already are many. If they are a monk with no mindfulness, then they die from being a monk already. Or if a lay person, then they die as a lay person already. This is considered death. 
So having mindfulness is important. Everyone must train in mindfulness a lot. It's important to recollect what is our life like. In this present moment, death has come close already. When I was with Venerable Ajahn Chah, he tried to make us have faith in the Buddha's teachings. He would lower and punish the egos of his disciples, the monks and the lay people. He would do so with the special power of his samadhi and dhamma. We would accept him and then practice the dhamma to be firm in sila or morality and goodness, to determine the mind to practice the dhamma and to maintain the monks' practices in the monastery, to develop a lot of mindfulness and have wisdom arise and to contemplate and see all things as impermanent. If it's our thoughts, we should see them as impermanent. Like sometimes, we feel we like something, we like it a lot, we are getting deluded in it. Then we teach the mind, hey, it's not sure. Sometimes we don't like something, then we tell it, hey, it's not sure. This feeling, don't believe it. Or we may think, this is really, really good. We think like this and we think we're really correct. Then teach the mind, hey, it's not sure. Don't believe in our thoughts 100%, because our thoughts aren't that bright. The thoughts are still deluded a lot. When we teach ourselves in this way, the mind has wisdom and doesn't get deluded. And when we are fulfilling our worldly obligations, our duties, work and responsibilities, then we do them well and without heedfulness, and we do them in the correct way and with Dhamma. We first must have a foundation of sila or morality. If we have no foundation of sila, then even if we get a lot of things, it will just all collapse. Like if we are to make a building that is to be strong on this earth, we need to have strong posts that can handle the heavy weight. If we just make a light and a small house, then we don't need many posts. So the foundation is important, that is sila. And the foundation that goes deeper inside and makes the mind firm is samadhi. And the foundation that gives up wrong view for sure is wisdom. So sila, samadhi and panya is the maga, the path leading to nibbana. This is the Dhamma that we investigate and practice with, and it's the right Dhamma. And this is for the attaining of the path and fruits of Nibbāna. Venerable Subhadda, the last disciple, he contemplated with a mind imbued with wisdom until he attained to becoming an Arahant. Because he had the cleverness to take the outside phenomena he saw and to contemplate it so that Dhamma arose in his heart. So wherever we go or wherever we are, have Dhamma to investigate, contemplate, analyze and practice Dhamma. Whatever it is, whether it's doing dana, practicing generosity and making merit, or is the Dhamma practice or meditation, try to use mindfulness and use our wisdom to walk the proper way, to follow the teachings of the Buddha that whoever practices sila, samadhi, panya, 
will arise the paths and fruits of Nibbana. The paths and fruits of Nibbana doesn't arise anywhere. It's not just like tracks that can arise in the sky. It can't just arise anywhere. Whoever doesn't practice sila, samadhi and panya won't be able to have lokuttara dhamma arise, that is the dhamma that's gone beyond the world. So let us be confident that we are still in time for the dhamma of the Buddha and that the Buddha still exists. The Supreme Teacher taught us to practice and use wisdom to contemplate our body and all material things as impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self. If we have a firm foundation of samadhi and we have sila that has restraint over our speech and actions, then here wisdom can arise. May you be determined to practice in this way. And an important thing that you'll be taking part in today is the offering of forest cloth and donations for the purchase of land for the monastery. This land is a place which will have monastery buildings in the future. All the Dhamma practice that will arise in the future will arise in this whole monastery compound. Our contribution will lead to our own benefit so that our mind can be firm and have samadhi and wisdom and have completeness in all aspects of our life. May you all grow in blessings.